Hey, it's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to The Baldcast, a production of John Kanzano's Baldface Truth. Back to The Baldface Truth with John Kanzano on 750 The Game. David Carter is a national authority on sports business, strategic marketing. He's written a bunch of books. He is a professor at USC, and he's a guy that I think can talk a little bit about all the stuff we've been talking around as it relates to the Pac-12 conference and marketing and sports business. David, thanks for making some time for us. Great to be with you. Let's talk. I mean, uh, you know, first and foremost, you know, the Pac-12 is amid a media rights negotiation and there's some strategy out there. Chase the money, chase the distribution, chase traditional media, you know, protect your brand. Where does your brain go when we talk about the balance of the landscape and the Pac-12 strategy? Well, I think you're right. It's a little bit of a game of musical chairs. And the goal for all these conferences is to figure out where they want to be when the music stops. And I think right now, if you're the Pac-12, your goal needs to be to remove as much uncertainty as possible. Because when there's uncertainty, it makes it difficult to lock down the media contracts. It makes it difficult to figure out uh, who you'll be able to keep in your conference or who you'll be able to attract to your conference. And so the sooner that they can get some of that clarity, uh, the better. And, and certainly they've lost a step or two based on the aggressive nature of the Big Ten and the SEC over the course of the last year or so. Do you think it's been a mistake? George Klyovkov, he came out on Media Day in L.A. and he talked, and then he has just been silent since. And I've kind of wondered, as some of the other conference commissioners have done interviews and been out there, been more outspoken, is it a mistake to let other people kind of control that narrative, or is it wise to sit back until you have something really substantial to talk about? Well, I think that's a strategic decision that the conference is going to make, and he'll be informed on how to go about that from the chancellors and presidents and even his athletic directors. And so I think it's a uh, potentially a very good strategy. You don't necessarily need to tip your hand. Uh, a lot of times... In these situations, there is purposeful uh, misinformation distributed. You don't really know what's going on. And, and there can be an awful lot of intrigue when nothing is being said. It makes a lot of people wonder if a deal is about to be announced or if uh, there is something cagey going on. And so there's a lot to read into it one way or the other, and, and that's just going to be the way it works. And for the Pac-12, that's going to be their uh, short-term policy is to, to likely wait until they have something meaningful to say. I want to drill down a little bit on Oregon and Washington in particular. You know, you've done advising, consulting, teaching over the years. You know, what would you tell Oregon and Washington, you know, as this playoff is expanding, access to the playoff now available to them, media rights money out there, which of those things is more important in your mind, access to the postseason or the money? Well, I think the way I would look at it is do you want to be a big fish in a medium pond or a medium fish in a big pond by being in the in the Big Ten, for example. And and clearly they may have a better opportunity of making the playoff if they stay in uh, a, a conference like uh, you know the Pac-10 or whatever the new name of it will be at some point. Uh, uh, or do they get a little bit lost in the sauce by being in the Big Ten? And in exchange for that, picking up a lot of guaranteed revenue from the media as being one of the two major, uh, a member of one of the two major conferences. So I think, again, it reverts back to, 
What's the university president think? What do the uh, trustees believe is the right move for their brand, for what they're trying to accomplish as a school, uh, how they want to balance athletics and academics? And increasingly, uh, that balance teeters virtually entirely towards athletics and, and the revenue that comes from it. I think if you go back many years, there was this delineation, I guess, between this collegiate model, which was balancing academics and athletics, and this professional model, which is really the pursuit of uh, profits and, and growing your, your franchise value and so forth. And most of college athletics at the big-time level now is all about that professional model. So if you're Oregon and Washington, you have to ask yourself, just how willing are we to veer entirely towards that professional model? And I sense they're more than willing to do that if they can cut the right financial deal. It's really interesting. Again, we're talking to David Carter, USC sports business professor and author. It's interesting to look at Thursday night football tonight. Amazon will be carrying it first time ever. You got Al Michaels, 77 years old, doing something new. It's available only on Amazon Prime unless you're in those NFL markets. But there's a billion dollars attached to that for the NFL. And I think, you know, all these entities, Major League Soccer, we saw them pivot towards a deal with Apple and a streamer. Is it too early to go to a streamer? Is, you know, would it be viewed as innovative? Would it be viewed as, uh, you know, this is a mistake, there's no distribution? If the Pac-12 went that route. Well, I think you're seeing throughout sports, including the NFL, which you mentioned, is that although they're streaming on Thursday nights for uh, a boatload of money, they are still uh, incentivized, financially incentivized, to have uh, uh, this coexistence between traditional broadcast and cable uh, and streaming because it's going to take time for all of their sports fans uh, to migrate and appreciate the, the need to stream these uh, these games. It works for a lot of folks right now, and it, it will be commonplace uh, maybe 10 years from now. But to go too quickly towards streaming, you're going to leave a lot of money on the table. Mm. And if you move too slowly towards streaming, you're also going to leave a lot of money on the table. So it's these media companies that are trying to thread the needle and figure out when is the optimal time to make that uh, more complete transition. And for college sports, um, you know, they've, they've certainly been a little slower than, say, the NFL has been. But they're also targeting a different market. Their, their brands, again, are different. What they're hoping to get out of these universities are different. But over time, they're going to look and feel very much like the NFL and the NBA. And from that standpoint, streaming will be the way to go, but not quite yet entirely. Brett Yormark, a Big 12 commissioner, came to his conference from, you know, Jay-Z's Rock Nation. George Klyovkov, the Pac-12, he came from MGM Sports and Entertainment. These are, uh, these are not campus administrators who have moved through the ranks like we saw in the old days. Uh, these are, this is a different animal we're dealing with. What do, you, what do you think is happening there with conference commissioners? Well, I, in an interesting way, maybe you could argue that they're not bogged down by tradition. Uh, they are seeing uh, athletics uh, generally as uh, content to be distributed and monetized, and they're less tied to the historic uh, programs and, and what college sports uh, used to stand for in that old collegiate model we were talking about. And, and they take uh, a very different approach to it as to how, where can we drive value for our shareholders. That, that is not the way college sports used to be thought of. And I think the other thing that's interesting when you highlight the backgrounds, whether from Rock Nation or MGM or, or uh, even some of the other Power Five commissioners, really important to understand that they do not know each other all that well relative to the predecessors who were on their jobs for 
a much longer period of time. They, they were, yes, they argued and all that, but they knew one another. They were somewhat of a cohesive group in terms of understanding what their uh, negotiating platforms would be and, and kind of how they were wired. Uh, and now you've got this mixed bundle of, of essentially five commissioners. Um, how is this contributing to their calculations when trying to figure out conference switching or cutting a deal? How is it affecting negotiations? Um, they're bringing a very different mindset to this, and they're doing so now negotiating with and among partners that they don't know that come from different walks of the sports business realm. You're in that USC world. I'm, I'm fascinated by kind of what the fallout has been as USC move, you know, announces it's going to the Big Ten. Is this something that you will be talking about as you're a professor at USC or dealing with or, you know, just among faculty and friends? Uh, what was the reaction to that? Well, you know, the reaction, I think, was different among some of the groups that, that you talked about. But, yeah, I think if you are really sober about it and you look at the financial opportunity at hand, uh, it is a no-brainer. And I think that, that it, it just underscored uh, the extent to which college athletics is moving towards uh, a full, full-throated profit uh, orientation. And, and they're unabashed about talking about what that means for recruiting and for facilities um, and for new sponsor deals and, and all the rest of it. So the fans can get caught up in it for a split second and hand ring, but I always get back to the fact that ultimately almost none of those hand ringers, those pearl clutchers as they're called, ever really change their consumption patterns. Did anybody give up their USC season tickets, UCLA? Uh, doubtful. They might complain about it, but let's look at the uptick in business and fandom going forward, and that's likely to tell uh, a very compelling story. That's really, uh, really a great point. Uh, we're talking to David Carter, USC professor and author. Uh, the NIL world—it's—it's uh, it's mercurial. Where is this headed? It feels dicey. There, there's been some ads who have said we need congressional uh, intervention here. Um, you know, when you look at the NIL world, what do you see happening? Where is this going? Well, certainly there've been a lot of unintended consequences that that I think if you had sat back and really taken a look at it, you could have. Uh, conceptualize uh, how how we were going to end up where we were today. Maybe not with the specific examples of these collectives and of these boosters getting actively involved and, and a whole bunch of other things that are going on, to your point, that make it seem, as a colleague told me yesterday, uh, murky and muddy. And, and I think when things are murky and muddy in sports business, it lends itself to a great business opportunity. That disruption uh, can be very, very good for business. And so... Uh, what you're really seeing is people trying to take advantage of this movement, this migration from paying athletes under the table to paying them over the table. And clearly it's not as simple as that, and it's not as uh, uh, not to you know, connotate that this is entirely unethical, but they're really trying to figure out how can they improve the plight of their rosters using a whole bunch of mechanisms to do that. So can the NCAA really credibly come in and, um, and do this, or is it too late? The land grab has been going on, you know, for a year. And so what can the NCAA really do uh, to, to stop what they think is a race to the bottom, whereas some of the other folks in the industry think it's a race to the top? Um, can the NCAA uh, close loopholes like, like the IRS does? Well, we all know when the IRS closes loopholes, people have been taking advantage of it for years, and it's kind of hard to get that genie back in the bottle. You mentioned Congress. Can they facilitate the right kind of change. Um, you know, every time there's some sort of rule or reg, people find a way around it until that loophole 
is closed. And so I think it's a, going to be a real challenge now that we've had a year or two of, of uh, a solid year or so anyway of, of student athletes being able to uh, take advantage of, uh, of their own name, image, and likeness. TV is interesting, and we talk about it on this show all the time, how TV money has changed the calculus. It, it feels like TV's in control, kickoff times, where the games are, how is it distrib- you know, distributed, uh, where can we see the games, what's the brand? It's hard to, uh, hard to not think about the Golden Goose getting killed here, David. So, how, you know, where, any concerns about the role of television as TV infuses so much money into, into sports? Well, I think I think the fact that it infuses so much money into sports is uh, a benefit 90% of the time and a detriment uh, 10% of the time and largely to those that are on the outside looking in. Uh, it, what's happened over the last couple of decades, uh, you know, without getting into the weeds, there was a big Supreme Court uh, uh, ruling that allowed and essentially accelerated conference realignment, conference networks, and, and got us to where we are today with this uh, – you know, uh, overarching business opportunity from media dollars flowing to teams and the conferences and so forth. So what's happened lately, it's just reinforcing what the marketplace has been all about really for about 25 or 30 years. The power base is shifting uh, and, and being uh, further memorialized as these big media companies controlling a lot of it, where they play, when they play, who they play. But I also find that rather amusing. Um, they, on the one hand, uh, I'm saying maybe college sports in general, complains about uh, this unpredictability, but they don't complain about it when they're signing the back of the check. Yeah, no kidding, right? I mean, they're all going, hey, this is problematic, and we're on our way to the bank right now to, to put a billion dollars in the bank. David Carter is at USC. He's a professor. He's an author. Uh, he has joined us over the years to help shed light on sports and business um, I'm going to be watching tonight's Thursday night football and, you know, seeing how it feels on Amazon, and I'm sure a lot of other people are as well, but I, I, I think it's really really a tricky spot that the Pac-12 is in. David, thank you so much for joining us. I appreciate you. Always a pleasure. Thank you. There it is. Are you ready for some football on Amazon Prime? Are you ready? If, if Amazon backs the truck up for the Pac-12, the Pac-12 will be in the similar predicament that Major League Soccer was in. Once upon a time, last spring, really, Major League Soccer had to weigh, hey, do we want distribution? Do we want, it, do we want the glow of the worldwide leader on ESPN? Or do we want the money? And, you know, in the end, they took $2.5 billion over 10 years. They took the money. What will the Pac-12 do? Leave it here. Jaden Grant, team captain at Oregon State, is next. We interrupt this broadcast with a special announcement from the Bald Face hey, Sorry Truth to interrupt the podcast, but if you want to listen to more of the Bald Face Truth Radio Show, including more of this segment that you're listening to, make sure you subscribe on SoundCloud and iTunes to the Bald Face Truth Radio Show. Thanks for listening.